Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food. Or weight. Never ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever ever. Hello everyone. This is Laura Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And thank you for tuning in today. This show is going to be on nurture, on the idea of nurture. And uh, what does that mean? And how do you do it? And how can we get some? So the card is of the goddess holding herself, giving herself a big hug and just being, I don't know, in her body and in herself with this rainbow behind her and a big sun and her sweet little deer is right there with her head on her hip. And it's just a very sweet nurturing card, I think. And it says in the back, nurture means to provide true nourishment for our body, our minds, and souls. When we become more present and aware of our needs, it is easier to define what feels good to our bodies and selves. And what is nourishing to us? When we stop hating ourselves and start practicing loving kindness, it is easier to take care of ourselves in nurturing ways. And I think that last line is the key for me because when I was struggling with my eating disorder and my body hatred, there was no loving kindness for my body or myself, really. I just was on a purveyor belt of how to be thin and eat everything I wanted to eat (laughs) and not look underneath the surface. I had no idea that my eating disorder was about stuff that had happened to me as a child. I did not put those two together. I had no language for that. I had nobody told me that. And thank goodness I got into a really very helpful group with a woman who just pulled this out of me. She said, well, of course you do that. Look at what happened to you as a child. And it was the first time I had ever thought that those two went together, you know? Anyway, so looking at that has been a lifelong thing, but I'm not scared of it. I don't have an eating disorder anymore. And I can have my feelings now. They're there. They're okay. They're inside of me. I'm not scared of them anymore. It's not that I always like them, but it's just the way it is. So it is okay. I'm happy to have them. And I'm really pleased to introduce our next guest. And she's going to talk about her work and her new book that she came out with not that long ago. That is just a sweet, soulful, nurturing book. And I'm really pleased that she's here today. So I'll turn the show over to her and we'll have a talk about nurturing. Sounds amazing. And thanks again for having me. Thank you. And so what about nurturing? What came up for you when you pulled this card out of the body love cards? So the word nurture means 
something to me because what I discovered in my recovery from an eating disorder and trauma was that my ability to be able to nurture myself through my childhood was part of what kept me here on earth. And it's also the thing that I craved the most growing up, but I didn't understand why. And I thought I was weird for feeling that way. So I used to feel a lot of shame around wanting that from other people. And now that I'm a parent and I've been working through my recovery for over 25 years, I can understand why I felt that way, but I don't feel that way anymore. And I think that's the key to thriving and healing for anybody who's in recovery from trauma, eating disorders, or any type of mental health issues. Yeah. And I love the word thriving. It's not just living after trauma or existing after trauma or accepting after trauma is like, it's thriving. It's actually stepping in to the life and the beauty of life, even with trauma. What is there to be thriving about? So how did you come up with that concept of thriving? I think when I used to talk about things that happened to me and I was trying to face different memories The thing that kept me going, the thing that kept me in therapy and that kept me looking at some really awful earlier moments was what did I want from my life moving forward? I had images, pictures in my mind, and the word thriving to me is about being victorious. It's about saying no matter what happened to me or to you or to anybody else, we have the ability and we have the choice in our lives moving forward to not let that hold us back from having the things that we wanted when we were growing up or the things that we want as adults. Yeah. And for me, I did not know that was possible. I just thought uh, things are messed up and they're just going to be messed up. And that's the way it is. Things that happen to children, I know that you know this from work and from your book and everything that you do. How do you nurture yourself? How do you thrive after the hearing the trauma of your clients? How do you hold that? Yeah. So I nurture, I find things that make me feel nurtured and I try and give it out to others. So when she shows up your dog, it makes me think of when I was 30, I got a dog. I had never had a dog growing up. She was King Charles Spaniel. Oh, she so beautiful, beautiful, almost as beautiful. Or no, she's she was as beautiful as you are because she was. Gosh, <laughs> she is gorgeous. People said to me, "You need to have something that you can come home to at the end of the day that makes you feel like it's not just you and your own feelings. There's something or somebody else that needs to be nurtured, taken care of." I got Chloe about a year after I broke my silence about my abuse, and it changed my whole perspective on what happened to me. And also for work, what I ended up doing was she came with me because I have a 45 minute commute to the office and there was no way I was leaving her home. I was so (laughs) attached and we had the best life. So she ended up being a part of my practice for 11 years. She sat with me in my therapy sessions and she sat with patients. There were some patients who just, they felt so much more comfortable opening up and talking having Chloe with them. And sometimes Chloe would sit on the floor. 
she could kind of sense who really needed to sort of like be on their lap versus be on the floor versus be on the other side of the room. She had a pretty good sense of that. But the idea that I had something else besides myself, it helped me to really open up my maternal instincts and recognize that I'm so much more than what happened to me. I'm so much more than what was done to me. And I need to stay healthy and take care of myself where I'm not going to be able to take care of her. And I recognized that through my relationship with Chloe, that some point I was going to be a parent. I also had two cats at the time too. So there were four of us, two four cats. Four beating hearts. <laughs> two, two cats who were seven when Chloe moved in with us. And we all became like a happy little family. There were times when I had all of them on my lap at the same time. <laughs> and there were these, just these moments where I could say, this is why you're doing what you're doing. You're not revisiting pain or having flashbacks or working through trauma to feel pain. You yeah. want more for your life. I didn't want to be thinking about food anymore and obsessing about my weight mm-hmm. and working out 50,000 hours a day. I was getting mm-hmm. so tired. And part of me knew if I'm going to do this work as a therapist, even though nobody said this to me, part of me knew there's no way I'm going to be able to be a witness to somebody else's story if I can't know my own story, or if I yeah. can't face my own fears, how yeah. am I going to help other people? To show up for yourself. If we don't show up for ourselves and we just show up for others, pretty soon we're burned out and we leave. We leave right. the whole thing. We can't handle it. And I can understand that really easily. To me, the people who abused me, they had no other way to nurture themselves. So they didn't know anything. I think about the trauma that I had at the hands of the Catholic nuns that were in charge of me, you know, they had nothing nurturing them practically, physically. I guess they had a spiritual nurture, I guess, but it didn't show up because <laughs> they really were. It was very hard on me as a child. But I think about we all need this and we just don't talk about it in the world. We talk about getting things when you should buy this thing and get this thing and that'll make you happy. But that's not what real nurturing is anyways. I was talking to somebody earlier today. He's a trauma survivor and he is married to somebody who is about 20 years older than him. So he's 60, she's 79 and she's not well at all. And one of the things he struggles with is he was not nurtured growing up. He has a pretty horrific history of abuse and he has lots of shame, lots of self-hatred. He eats to comfort himself. That's basically the only thing that he could do growing up to help him get through whatever he was getting through. So we were talking today and with his wife, when he gets home from work, there are days where she's so out of sorts, where she's crying and yelling and screaming and at times really lashing out onto him because he's just come home from work. And we were talking today and I I reminded him, I said, you know, when you walk in the front door and you walk into that chaos, you need to tell yourself, I have a choice. In his childhood, he had to walk into his parents' house and that's where he had to be. But when you're a grown person, and again, morally and all that, he doesn't want to leave her. And I'm not saying he should leave her, but what I'm trying to say is you need to remind yourself that you have a choice. And when you choose to walk in the front door and take care of a woman who in that moment doesn't look like the wife that you married, that's brave. That's 
amazing. And we talked today about how can you take really good care of yourself when things with her sort of settle down and she's back in the present and she's got her feet on the ground. What can you do to take care of yourself? Because she's not the kind of person that will say, I don't know what I would do without you. She's not a nurturer. So this is what he struggles with. He married somebody very similar to his own parents. And the only thing he knows to do is to eat. So we talked today about that. We talked about even if you say kind things to yourself, like, What I just did for her was a great thing. She is lucky that she has somebody like me in her life that loves her and that will stay with her and do this. And not in an egotistical way, but more in like a wrap your arms around yourself and really commend yourself because he takes for granted what he does because he's so used to taking care of her. He's been doing this for like six years now. And his eating disorder has definitely gotten worse because his support, his resources that he had six or seven years ago, that person is no longer the same person. Right. And he probably learned, I would say, just I imagine, that you're supposed to take care of your wife. So you get no credit for that. You get no brownie points for that. That's what you're supposed to do. Be quiet and just lump it. But what a beautiful thing that you told him to say that to himself. And then how can you take care of yourself for the rest of the night or for today? Or what can you put in your life that will help you thrive? That is a beautiful thing. And ironically, I think this is so funny, but when we do teletherapy, his cat, he has an outdoor cat that is gorgeous. And he showed me at the very end of the session, he put the phone down and he showed me the little, well, she's not so little, but she's beautiful. She was sitting like on his lap and she was there for like 30 minutes. And I started talking to her and saying, listen, if your dad forgets what we (laughs) talked about in this session, can you please remind him? She was nurturing him as we were having the session. He loves this cat. That is so great. He looks so peaceful when he's with her and he can't see himself the way I can see it on the screen. And I just thought that's amazing because in some ways the message got reinforced as we were having the session. I didn't even know because again, I didn't know she was on his lap that whole time until the very end. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. That is a beautiful story, and I think... I look at my childhood pictures, almost all of them, I have an animal somewhere. I'm holding an animal, it's sitting next to me, an animal's behind me, you know, I'm holding a bird, something is happening with an animal somewhere, and I realize that's the only way I made it through my own childhood. If I didn't have a horse to cry into their neck, I didn't have that horse, it lived where I lived, and I could go out to the pasture and just cry on it and it would stay there for me and let me do that or a cat would let me hold it or a dog and so it just very very you know thank goodness we have them I don't know how any of us would made it through without whatever you needed to do and if you needed to eat you needed to eat at least I mean I had to eat because I couldn't get a hold of heroin or a handgun so that's what I came up with and we were smart little people to come up with that 
when I think about the different people I'm working with, probably more so during COVID, so many people that I work with have pets. And for the majority of them, the love that they receive and that they give is such a wonderful replacement to restricting and binging and oh my God. obsessing. So it's- much. And I see that you've been a therapist for a long time and you've also been a health at every size. So how do you like the trauma of living as a person in this culture that may not look like what we're supposed to look like. Maybe they're bigger or taller or they're not blonde and live on the beach in Southern California with a size two bathing suit. How do you work with that of the body acceptance of that? I think body acceptance is more about acceptance of who we are, where we come from, and what we feel. So when I talk to patients and when I work on my own stuff, I really try to stay away from the exterior. I think growing up, there was so much competition and comparing myself to others because I knew something in my life wasn't right. But instead of letting myself know what was not right, I made it all about my weight and not being at the right weight. And I sometimes set myself up. I put myself in positions where I was going to be more judged because I loved acting. I loved dancing. And that was sort of a setup in a way for me, because in that field, especially 30 years ago, people made comments about how much we weighed and what our hair looked like. And if we look too ethnic and all these things that I wasn't going to be able to change. So I think of body acceptance is feeling like we can sit in our bodies and be at peace. Like I can sit in a place, no matter what feeling I'm having and not be focused on the size, but more about what's going on inside of me and what goes on inside of others. And I notice now as I'm becoming um, menopausal too, I notice too, there's a whole nother element of body acceptance that I'm not there yet because it's sort of new for me. And there are moments when I start getting really upset about the changes and the feelings that I have in my body. And then I just remind myself again, that's not what makes your life what it is. These are natural changes that you just have to go through and you're not alone in that. How many people do I know that would say, yeah, me too. So I try to really get more into what's underneath the size of somebody versus what their shape or size is, because that's so irrelevant. Even if somebody's really struggling with their weight, because I have people who are way too thin. I work with people that are considered morbidly obese, but that's not the focus of my work. That's something that other people may be dealing more directly with. And I think that can be their job, but that's not my job. And that's not what we do in therapy. Yeah, we're working on the little person inside of you, not the outside. We're working on the inside, but how to love the outside. That's the college courses, you know, if you will. That's like, that's the stuff. And as we get older, you know, the tsunami of aging that comes over us, you know, at some point of, wait, I still feel, I still think that I'm 17 or 20 and I want to go up that hill, but these knees are not going. And how do we live with that? How do we accept that? Oh, this too shall pass, you know, us, ourselves. And uh, good for you, though. And I heard a show the other day on NPR and they were talking about how people feel when they get on airplanes and they don't fit in the seat and the shame that comes with that and having to ask for an extension and I called into the show and said I blame 
the airlines because I'm tall and I could tell you, and I fly a lot, and I could tell you that it's not me that's growing longer legs. <laughs> it's the airline has shortened the seats and shortened the space between where my knees are and the seat in front of me. But in this culture, if you're bigger, then that's your fault. But if you're taller, it's not your fault. It's the airline's fault. And just that difference. But we need to call it what it is. It's the airline's fault. It's not us. It's them. And it messes with our mind that we can't fit in this little seat anymore. And how shaming that is for people and how heartbreaking it is. It shouldn't be like that. It should not be like that. And I can remember when my little niece grew from a size, you know, was able to shop in the little girl size. And then she went to an adolescent side and she said, is it because I'm really fat? And I said, no, it's because you're not five anymore. <laughs> it's supposed to be. You're supposed you're to, You're supposed right? to grow. You're supposed to be in a different section of the right. girl's area. But nobody told her that. Yeah. It's good to like progress through different sizes. It's, a, it's like a statement of what's supposed to happen and what is natural in life is happening. And I think a lot of times people get stuck and they want to stay in one spot. They're scared. You know, so many people who struggle with eating disorders, they associate being in a grown up body because this is men too, not just women with something bad happening or people leaving or I can't get what I need anymore. What about all those things that happened to me? How am I going to have closure if I'm not a kid anymore? And I think with just attention and conversation, you can work through those feelings. And I think it's normal for kids to have these thoughts. And I think it's great when they can say them out loud and get that reassurance that this is normal. Like this is a good thing. You don't want to be wearing the size of a five-year-old. No. That would be unhealthy. Yes. Or like you're saying, you know, you're going through menopause or you're going through beginning to get into menopause. It's like, yay, that means you lived this long. Whereas like our ancestors might not have lived to go through the change. They got killed long before that. So thank goodness that you're here. And I think about that with this pandemic we've all been through is that if you live through it, your body did a good job. <laughs> it fought it off. You fought it off. Yeah, you're doing and here something. here you are. Right? Yeah, exactly. So I love what you just said about that. And I know that you've shared that you also went through trauma. And if you were able to go back to that little girl that you were as yourself and walk into her room, what would you tell her about how she's going to be able to get through until she's your age, you know, what her life is going to be like. I mean, I think I already did this. This is the thing. I think this is what I used to say to myself. I would say, hang in there, stay connected to what is your vision and what you want for yourself, because this is not going to be forever. And what's happening right now is not your fault. You are not the cause of this. You are not deserving of this. You were born into a family with a lot of mental health pathology and crazy making stuff. And there's so much more out there. And I think because I had adults, whether they were teachers, acting coaches, I had adults on the outside of my family saying to me, if you believe you can do it, then it'll come true. So great. I'm so glad that you had that part of you that said, this is bull and I'm not believing it. <laughs> That's good for you. 
I mean, I definitely needed more of that. I think we all could have used like a hundred million more people telling us that because it's hard for me to look back now and remember just being a kid without all this stuff that I've learned through the years. But I think that it's never too much to say to somebody. There's never too many times to hear that. And I think most people with histories of abuse, even if they heard it sporadically, it was helpful. Absolutely. But it's not enough. We have to be able to internalize those voices and we need to learn how to take our grown up selves and really talk back to that younger self so that when we get stuck or caught in the shame, the guilt, the anger, the grief, we don't feel like we're reliving it. That's right. That we go, look, I remember telling myself at some point I would feel so low and I would look at my wallet and go, look, I have a driver's license. Somebody trust me with a car. (laughs) You know, I have a credit card. I have a checkbook. I must be doing something right. So let's just start with that. (laughs) You have the things that you need to be free. I can leave. Like you said, I have a choice. I didn't have a choice. I had to make do. But now I have a choice and I can get in my car and drive away and go somewhere and come back later if I want to. I don't have to just take abuse. That's just never going to be what my story is anymore. Good for you. Yeah, good for you too. So we both have done it. And I wonder, is there anything that you're doing right now that you'd like to put out in the world and make more people aware of it? I think what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to get the word out about the book. My book, Thriving After Trauma, just came out in paperback last month. So I feel really excited about it because I had an opportunity during the first half of COVID to write a chapter on that for the paperback. I got to write about the impact of COVID and also all the other craziness that happened as a result of COVID, the riots, the political upheaval. And I'm really wanting to just get out there and meet people and talk to other people who've been through something similar. And also, I think my mission in my 50s is going to be more focused on having more attention on childhood abuse and what that means for somebody when that ends. I think we went through hashtag me too. And I think it was amazing. I still don't think there's enough intervention, understanding, insight. I think people still don't want to know it's happening. Yes. That's right. So if I can do something to change a law or extend the statute of limitations in one of the states, because every state is different, then I'll feel like I've accomplished something in my 50s. Yeah. That's such a good point is that working for change, working in the trenches of change. And I know that here in California, there's no statute of limitations if you have been molested by, say, the Catholic Church or a pastor or whatever, a religious figure. But where I lived and grew up in Texas, there's no recourse. There's not, you can't do anything. It's been way too long and there is a statute of limitations and it's way over. So to me, that just, hurts the little girl more or the little boy more that, oh, so there's nobody even going to say, I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. But it is what it is. And it's, I love that you're working to correct anything like that. Good for you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So I wonder if you'll read the last part of the card. Today, I will list 10 ways of nurturing my body, mind, and soul in a way that truly nourishes me. I will try at least one of these ways a day and then notice how I feel. Oh, 
You know, I love the last part that we wrote in here. I always say that Carol wrote the good things and I was just the put in the ands or the commas or whatever. And she says, I do the other thing. But I love is, and then notice how I feel. Yeah. Do that with everything. It's yeah. great, actually. It's so helpful. Thank you so much for being on. And I wish you all the success in the world with your book and getting it out and just having it in everybody's library, you know, that they have. Here, read this, because it's going to happen. We're going to have to heal from this stuff, and we're going to have to thrive instead of just live with it. Absolutely. So thank you so much for being in the world and doing this work. Oh, and thank you for having me and for doing the work that you do as well. Okay. Take care of yourself, and you get to put on your jammies now. I'm already halfway there. (laughs) Okay. See you later. Thank you for listening and be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.